Well, <clears throat> good evening, uh, Mr. Ebenezer. Uh, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study once again. I'm Pastor Manuel Figueroa, and I am honored to uh, lead our Bible study tonight. Praise the Lord. So tonight we're going to continue uh, Paul's prison epistle to the Philippians, and we are in the last chapter, right? Chapter 4. So uh, why don't we go ahead and open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Amen. I'll give you some time to go ahead and open up so that you can follow along. And as you're opening up, um, I just want to share that I was really encouraged, you know, reading through the book of Philippians. I read through the whole book and I was encouraged, you know, I was uh, I was encouraged reading, reading, you know, and, and, and to me what I believe to be the theme of, of this book, right? The theme of joy and to rejoice, you know, so it really picked me up and I'm praying that, you know, as we go through uh, tonight's uh, uh, Bible study that it'll be uh, a pick me up to you too, that it'll be a blessing to you, amen? You know, as I was reading through uh, chapter one, I was seeing how, how Paul was, was, was teaching us how we can rejoice through suffering, and and when you move on to chapter two, you see that he's also teaching us, you know, how to rejoice even in serving, right? In serving others. In chapter three, Paul is teaching us to rejoice in in our faith, right? To rejoice in believing, amen. And so now, uh, as we come into chapter four, uh, we see that Paul is going to continue that same thought of rejoicing, amen. So before we begin. Why don't we go ahead and bow our heads and let's go ahead and open up our Bible study with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight. As we're gathered over this live stream to study your word together, I thank you for what you prepared for us for tonight, Lord. I ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand your word tonight, Father. I ask that the seed of your word would land on the fertile ground of our hearts that would produce uh, all the fruit, Heavenly Father, that would bring you all the praise, honor, and the glory. For you alone are worthy, God Almighty. So right now, God, I, I decrease so that you may increase and that you would be exalted tonight. I ask, Father, that you would allow my words to be clear and that you would uh, uh, let your Holy Spirit, Father, guide my words, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, Father, and let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Praise God. So look, why don't we go ahead and dive right in. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start in verse 1. <clears throat> verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. Now, you know, when we read Scripture and whenever we come to that word, therefore, right, uh, it's always good for us to stop and to ask ourselves, what's it there for, Right. So when we look up that word, therefore, in the dictionary, it actually defines therefore as for that reason or consequently, right? In other words, just referring to something that's previously, previously stated. And so here in the outset of chapter 4, we're seeing that Paul is referring to the end of chapter 3. So if we, if we kind of, you know, go back, back one chapter, uh, we're going to see what he's talking about. And I'm going to go ahead and start in in verse uh, 17, where he says, uh, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you, and, and for as I, as, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, with 
uh, 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 many lie, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Amen. So he tells us that we don't we don't have to be hopeless, right? As we watch our culture crumble. How many of us know that right now our culture is crumbling right now? There's so many things, if you look, uh, so many things that are going on in this world that go against God's word. So we're witnessing our culture crumble. And so what Paul is saying is that we don't have to be hopeless as we see these things happen, right? Because we know that when Jesus returns, he's going to put all things in order. Amen. So we see right here that Paul, he's pouring out his heart, right, to this church that he deeply loves. Okay. And as he's writing this letter, he's, he's, he's sitting in, in, a, in, a, in a Roman house on house arrest. Okay. And at this point, he doesn't know if he's going to keep his life. He doesn't know whether if he's going to lose it uh, for, the, for the gospel. But he writes to the church of, in Philippi to encourage them, right? To build them up and to remind them that there is a foundation, right? That even if he loses his life, it will not fail him. Amen. Let me listen to what he says. I'm going to read verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Someone say stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. So he's not he's not telling us, and he's not telling the Philippians, you know, try your best to stand firm when trials come. No, he's giving a command. He's saying, stand firm. So where is he telling them? Where, where, where are we to stand firm? Well, we're to stand firm in the Lord. Why? Because the ground, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, the ground that, that, that you walk on, the ground that I walk on, okay, you know, uh, 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 will determine... Okay, whether if whether if the ground that we're standing on, let me let me say let me say that again, the ground that we're standing on, it will determine if our house continues to stand when the storms come. Okay, remember what 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 Jesus said back in Matthew chapter seven, right, in verse uh, twenty four and twenty seven. He says, therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So Paul is saying to everyone is this, if you want to live a life that is unshakable, okay, then we've got to live a life that is grounded in the immovable, right? He, so what Paul is saying is, he's saying build your life, okay, on something that has staying power, okay? He's giving a command. He's saying stand firm in the Lord. Why? Because an unshakable life is grounded in an immovable God. Amen? So if we're grounded 
in, an, in, in the immovable one, right, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're able to address life. We're able to, to, to walk through life. We're able to walk through challenging situations. We're able to, 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 to walk through all that in a completely different way. Why? Because that's what Jesus does in the life of a believer. Jesus changes our heart. He changes the way that we think. He changes the relationships around us, right? He changes our view of life. Amen? But not only that, he tells us, stand firm, right? He says, when we only stand firm and are grounded in him, that's when we're able to have the victory. That's when we're able to walk through this life, you know, uh, with a different view. Amen? But we got to stand firm, okay? So after he encourages them to stand firm, listen to what he says now. Let's go to verse 2. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So here Paul, he's, he's urging these two ladies, okay? Euodia and Syntyche. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, okay? He's telling them, agree in the Lord, okay? He calls, he calls the church, right, together to help these women get along, okay? Because both of them have contended on Paul's side, right? Working with him side by side for the gospel. So Paul understood that these women were faithful women, okay? And that they had lost sight of the big picture. How many of us know that even, even the greatest people that you see in church could sometimes lose sight, right? This is what he's saying. He goes, these are stand-up women. These are stand-up uh, 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 Christians, you know, that have stood by my side. This is what Paul's saying. Stood by my side, but yet... Some way, somehow, they lost sight of the big picture, okay? And evidently, if Paul got wind of this, that means that this whole dispute spread throughout the whole church. You know what I mean? So Paul tells them that they need to agree in the Lord, to set aside their differences for the sake of the gospel. Now, let's think about this for a minute. I mean, isn't it true that when we start getting pressed down by, whether it be bitterness or division, that we end up forgetting the mission that's in front of us, right? I mean, that's one of the tactics of the enemy, is to, is to sow a seed of division, a seed of bitterness in the church in order to try to get us off track, to get us off the mission that God has called us to do. And so what Paul is seeing here, he's seeing this and he's pleading with them. He's like, I know you ladies, you guys are stand-up ladies, come on now, right? He says, something happened here that's causing the division among you guys. And I want you guys to take a moment to remember the mission that's in front of you, right? And that's a good message for us too, because sometimes, you know, we end up getting that way as well, right? Sometimes we, we end up doing that. So he tells him, he says, will you remember why you're together in the first place? And that's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, there are times, you know, where we might get into an argument. There are times where uh, we might get into a disagreement in the church, right? But I think that, in, you know, during that time, that's a good question for us to ask ourselves, you know. Why are we together in the first place, right? If I have a disagreement with somebody, you know, our, our first reaction is to try to defend ourselves, right? To try to, to try to make people realize that, you know, we're right or make people see our point of view, right? But instead, we should be asking ourselves, you know, 
Why are we together? What's the reason why we're together, right? Because I believe that the body of Christ, right, we need to deliberately, right, we need to deliberately stop and remember why we're together, right? Especially when bitterness and division try to creep, creep in the church, okay? Because now, now listen to what he says. He says, finally, he says, your names are written in the book of life. As if to say, listen, you're going to spend all eternity together, so you might as well get it right now. You might as well start now and, 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 and get this relationship right. Amen? Figure out how to get along right now. And that's the message that he's given them at this top part of this chapter. Okay? At, yeah, at the, at, the, at, the, at the top part of this chapter. Okay? He says, pursue unity. That's what he's telling the church. Help these ladies to pursue unity, right? Be intentional about that, okay? Why? Because it's all about Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, when we when we start to get into to, to a debate, when we start to get into a disagreement, you know, like I said earlier, you know, our first reaction is to try to defend our own position, right? To, to defend our own thought, to make uh, the other person realize why we are right and why they are wrong. You know, and that's what, not what it's all about. What, 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 what it's all about is why we are here together, right? We're here together for one purpose, and that's for the kingdom of God. God has called us together, right? We are the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the one that directs us, right? So we are to follow Him. We are to keep our eyes on Him. Amen? When we keep our eyes on Him, we can't, we can't have any room to keep our eyes on somebody else, let alone ourselves. Right? So keep our eyes on Jesus. And this is one of the main ways that the enemy works in the life of believers, okay? Is by causing a root of bitterness, right? To to grow up. But remember what Paul says, you know, in the book of Ephesians. I mean, we just we just finished the book of Ephesians a couple of weeks ago. Okay? And he tells us in, in chapter 24, uh, I mean not chapter 24, but chapter chapter 4. To be angry and do not sin, right? Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity. Another version says, don't give him a foothold, right, to the devil. So what's he talking about here? He's saying that if, if there's like unresolved things, right, that start to cause anger in our heart, in our soul, right? And, and it puts us in a position where we're unwilling to forgive. We got to check ourselves, right? Because the enemy is going to get a foothold, in your life, in my life, and potentially start to wreak havoc that shouldn't even be there. Amen. So one of the one of the, the most powerful weapons that we have in spiritual warfare is forgiveness. I'm gonna say that again. One of the most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare is forgiveness. Why? Because the enemy hates when we forgive one another, because he has no place where there's forgiveness. Amen. So, so, so let's think about this. For you and for me, what might that be today? I mean, we're not in the position like, like, like these two ladies are, you know, uh, Euodia and Sintiki. They're both being called out. Paul put them on blast, okay? They're being called out. None of us here are being called out, but, yes, we, but yet we have the opportunity to kind of look deeper than ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, Lord, what do I got to do? Who do I have to make a phone call to this week, okay? Who do I need to humble myself to? Who do I need to swallow my pride to and apologize to, right? Who do I need to reach out and say, hey, can we have a conversation? Can we talk about this? Amen? When we stand firm in the Lord, we are able 
to navigate our relationships differently. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Ooh, that's awesome. So Paul is telling the church, he's telling the whole church at large, be full of joy. Rejoice, okay? Now think about this. I mean, this, this is something strange, okay? Coming from a man who's in prison. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is strange for a man who is in prison to tell the church to keep on rejoicing. I mean, how can we as a church rejoice when the church is facing opposition? I mean, the, the, if you look at the Philippian church, they were facing opposition from without and from within. From without, they were being persecuted. But from within, they were facing opposition with, with, with uh, false teachers, with division, and stuff like that. So they were being attacked from the inside and the outside. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yet, Paul is telling them to rejoice. I mean, it doesn't make sense. But Paul shows us that the path to joy is actually to choose to rejoice. Amen? In other words, if we look at his attitude, his attitude is an important lesson for us. And it shows us that our, our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Amen? You see, Paul was full of joy because he knew that no matter what happened to him, Jesus was with them. And while, and while believers will often encounter situations in which we cannot be happy, we can always rejoice and delight in the Lord. Amen? Because worldly happiness is not the same as godly happiness. You see, godly happiness is called joy. Okay? In the Bible, the word joy, it's a celebration term. And so Paul is calling for celebration. And the difference between joy and, 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 and secular happiness is that the latter, meaning secular happiness, it depends on what happens. In other words, it is circumstantially driven. So think about this. If, if things in, in, in your life are, are, are going in the upward direction, well, then you feel up, right? It's only natural. But if things are going down, well, you feel down also. So if we depend on, on, on the secular happiness, then we end up being on an emotional roller coaster going up and down. But biblical joy is different, all right? Because it has to do with stability. It has to do with celebration on the inside of our hearts, right? Regardless of the circumstances on the outside, right? So he's telling us we must choose to rejoice, amen, in order to experience the joy that God promises us. Not only that, but he says, let your gentleness, let your gentleness, uh, uh, he says, um, let your gentleness be, be evident to all. He says, the Lord is near. In other words, because the Lord is with us, because the Lord is watching us, because the Lord is coming soon, that should be our motivation, right? For us to be joyful. That should be our motivation for us to be considerate of others. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's move on. Uh, number six. Let's go to verse six. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here, we're reaching the point of Paul's letter 
that that is that is some of the most helpful and most well-loved verses in the Bible, right? Because Paul right here is now, he's providing an antidote to worry. How many of us are worrying right now? How many of us have ever worried? I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, yes, I have worried. Yes, I have, I have allowed anxiety at times to get the best of me. I mean, I'm human. You know what I mean? But Paul right here is providing an antidote. So when, when I'm reading this, I'm like, my ears are open because I want that antidote. I want to know what it is, man, that, that's able to, 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 to beat this, this, this thing of worry, this thing of anxiety, right? Because the word anxiety in Greek, it literally means to, to, to be torn into parts, okay? It's like if you picture horses running in opposite directions, you know what I mean? So maybe if, maybe, you know, for you, it may be both, you know, fear and hope running in, in, in different directions, right? In your life. Maybe it's a situation um, in, in, in your mind right now, right? That you don't know how it's going to turn out. Or you don't know uh, how exactly or where exactly the road is going to lead, right? And anxiety continues to play in the back of our minds. And we all know that it's hard as we try not to be anxious about anything, but there are things that we are anxious about. It happens. There are things that, that, that we have fears of. I mean, every single one of us is wired differently, right? In other words, we don't all have the same type of worries. We don't all have the same type of anxieties, but we all do go through times of worry and we do go through times of anxiety, right? I mean, and, and one author says that anxiety is like sitting on a rocking chair. You exert a lot of energy, but yet you go nowhere. And it's true. And so Paul right here is saying, okay, I'm going to tell you how to deal with it. Are you guys ready? You guys ready? Make sure you guys put everything down so that you can hear how to deal with this, okay? Paul is saying, you deal with it prayerfully. Oh, come on now. Somebody's got to get excited, okay? He says, you deal with it prayerfully. Someone say prayer. Come on, people. Someone say prayer. Amen? He says, you deal with it prayerfully. Why? Because prayer is relational. It's relational communication with God. Amen? I mean, I mean, think about it, okay? If your car fails, what do you do or where do you go? You go to a mechanic. If, you're, if your house starts to break down, who do you call? You call a handyman. If your body starts to break down, you go to the doctor, right? If your clothes are torn up, where do you go? You go to a tailor. For kids, you know, if your grades aren't working, what do you do? You go to a tutor, right? Whatever we do in our life that breaks down, right? When it, you know, when, when it's a spiritual issue, who do we go to? We go to God, right? Because only God can fix that. Anything that we use to fix a problem in our lives cannot compete with the presence of God. It cannot compete. When you need to fix your life, when I need to fix my life, there's no solution better than divine intervention. Why is that? Because prayer, what prayer does, church, it seeks to draw the resources, right? It seeks to draw the resources from the spiritual realm into the visible, physical reality. So we're going from the invisible, drawing resources from the invisible and bringing it out into the visible, into the physical reality, right? That's the power of prayer. So every time that we begin to worry, 
We should see that as a call from God telling us that it's time to pray. Amen. Prayer is one of the hardest things to do in the body of Christ. That's what I've noticed. That's my personal opinion. Because I've, I've seen that it's very hard for people to get into prayer. Okay? And prayer is the most crucial thing that we need. Because that's our communication. Right? That's our help. Whenever we're, we're in, in, in a bind, whenever we're going through something, prayer right there, man, is the, is the direct hotline. Okay? To the direct hotline to God. Amen? So this is an important principle. Okay? The more that we worry, the less we pray. Amen? The more we pray, the less we worry. Okay? Prayer is what you call the umbrella word under which Paul includes petition and thanksgiving. Okay? Our petitions have to be specific, church. We need to call God and tell God what we're worried about. And we need to ask for His help when, when the time comes, right? When the moment that we are plagued, okay, with, with worry, with, with anxiety, that's not the time to say, God bless the world and give him a general prayer. No, that's the time man, for us to get real with God. Amen. To deal with anxiety, to deal with worry, make sure that our prayers are precise. Make sure that we get real with God. Amen. God does not mind for us to get real with him. God wants us to get real with him. So if you're going through something in your life right now, get real with God. Let him know. Be precise. Okay. Let God know. Amen. And I, listen, I know that prayer can often feel frustrating, right? Like at times when you go to like a soda machine and you put in your money and you hit the button and nothing comes out. Sometimes we get, we get, we get uh, depressed, right? We get frustrated. We get discouraged when we think that God is not answering our prayer. But if we think of prayer in, in this way, then we, then we miss. We miss how prayer works. Because God wants us to make our requests with thanksgiving. Amen? And I know it's hard to thank God when, when the problem isn't going away. But Paul is telling us to give thanks. Not for the problem. Not for the problem itself. But for the God that we're inviting into our specific problem, church. Offering thanks is a demonstration of faith. Right? It's a, it's a demonstration of faith in God's goodness, in His provision, uh, despite what we see. Amen? What can we expect when we, when we pray this way? The peace of God. That's what Paul is saying. It's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God, he said, will guard your hearts and, and, and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? In other words, we will experience calm in the midst of chaos. Okay? We will know that God heard our prayer, not necessarily because the problem is solved, but because the peace that God gives us. Amen? Paul calls it the peace that surpasses all understanding. I mean, because even we, we won't entirely understand how we are able to have peace in light of some of the troubles that we experience, church. Nevertheless, this peace, it guards our hearts and our minds. And the Greek word for guard, is it's a, it's a military term, and it means to surround and protect a garrison or a city. In other words, God's peace is like soldiers surrounding our hearts and our minds, which include our emotions and our thoughts, right? And, 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 and it's securing them against any kind of threatful harm from the outside. Amen? Prayer, that's what it does. Amen. Let's continue. Let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Finally, my brothers 
and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now we've just covered that God gives us peace, right? So when God gives us peace, it's our responsibility to hold on to it. We've got to hold on to this. We don't want to lose our peace within the next hour or within the next day. So Paul tells us that in order to prevent that, that we are to dwell on whatever's true. We are to dwell on whatever's honorable, on whatever is just, on whatever is, is pure, on whatever is lovely, right? On whatever is commendable. He says, and if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, we're to focus our attention on that. Because you see, one of the reasons why we don't keep our peace is because we tend to dwell on things that, that are set in opposition to the peace that we're asking for. We, can, we, 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 tend, we tend to mull over, right, a lie or over bad things that could happen. And let me tell you, church, if we continue to entertain those type of thoughts, those type of messages that work against our peace, anxiety will soon return. So instead, let's fill our minds with the goodness of God, with the wealth of His Word. Amen? Like Paul, we'll awaken with the joy of the Lord, even though we might be locked up in our own prisons, right? Of our own, of our own worries. We wake up with the joy of the Lord because we have peace. Amen? So then Paul tells the Philippian church, he says, do what I do. He said, whatever you have seen, whatever you have heard, whatever you have learned, whatever you received from me, put that into practice. In other words, he's telling the Philippians that they were to handle the things the way that Paul, the way that they had seen Paul handle things, right? How many of us have seen, have had, uh, you know, role models in the church, right? You know, mature brothers and sisters, man, that, that, that give a good example that we can learn from, right? You know, we could learn from people like that, people that are mature in their walk, people that are mature in their relationship with the Lord. Amen. We could learn. We can see how they do things, right? And we can follow suit. Amen. And that's what Paul was doing. He was praising God instead of worrying. I like, I like, I like Paul's ministry because Paul's ministry was like a, like a show and tell type of ministry. In other words, he would tell them what to do, but not only that, he showed them how to do it. He lived by example, amen? And this is what we need in the church. We need, we need people being connected with, 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 with mature believers that are going to encourage and build up, right? Not only by word, but in action as well. So when we're rejoicing and praying and dwelling on the right things and watching the right people, learning from them, we don't just have peace with God, but we have the God of peace with us, amen? We get His peace and we get His presence, amen? Praise God. Let's continue. Verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So here the Philippian church sent a generous financial gift to Paul. Okay. And it came during a time of need. Now, what were his needs when he was locked up? Okay. Well, in the first, in the first century uh, Roman jail system, the prisoners were not fed. They were not fed by the Romans. Okay. It was the friends of the prisoners that sustained them. They, 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 they would, they would bring food. They would bring gifts to them. Okay. And so Paul rejoiced not only at the gift of God's, you know, provision 
for his needs, but also the fact that the church who cared so much about him had not forgotten him. Amen. And when I when I read this, I'm reminded of a time in my life when 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 my family and I were in need, you know, and it was during the last government shutdown, right? That lasted over a month. And my wife works for the government. So during that time, she was not getting paid. And we weren't prepared for something like this to happen. So I have to admit that, you know, during that time, sure, my faith was shaken because I had no idea how long this government shutdown was going to last. I did everything I could to encourage my family that everything was going to be okay. But part of me, right, part of me was still a bit scared. And I turned to God's word and I found a promise in scripture that was echoed by many in the body of Christ that encouraged us. And that was out of Psalms uh, chapter 37, verse 25 which says, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And I held on to that promise. And I said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. And so I left it at that. And so my wife is the one that does, you know, she's the one that she's real good at keeping our, our, our bills in order. You know, and so she, she went over the monthly bills and she says, you know, we have enough to pay the monthly bills, but we don't have enough for the house payment. We don't have, you know, enough money even for food. So I told her that everything's going to be okay. A few days went by, you know, and then we, 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 we were given a check for the exact amount of our house payment. Praise the Lord. My wife and I, we rejoiced at God's miraculous provision. Then another few days went by and I received a phone call from someone that said that God had placed us on their heart and they wanted to help. And we were given in cash the amount of what we usually spend for food. Now, those of you who know my family, I got big kids and we eat well. But God still provided, right? And let me tell you something, that nobody knew the amount of what we needed. Nobody knew the amount, only God. And God sent the, sent the exact amount. Praise God. We rejoiced because God provided. And we rejoiced because we were not forgotten. I thank God for his provision. And I thank God for the body of Christ. Who listened. Who listened to the Lord as the Lord tugged at them. Amen. So God provides. Amen. Praise the Lord. So this is what Paul is doing right here. He's rejoicing because he knew that God is in control. And that, and that God would provide for his needs. Amen. And Paul is rejoicing, even though the Philippian church wasn't able to, to help him all the time. Right? But when they did, they did it willingly. Right? They did it willingly when they were able, meaning that they didn't forget about him. And let me tell you something, church. If you know someone that it's in that that's in need and you don't have it, pray for them. And when you do have it, don't forget about them. Amen. Let's help each other out. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Praise God. So because Paul, because of his unshakable stand, right, in the immovable God, he had learned to be content. 
with whatever circumstances that he found himself, whether, whether it be a time of plenty, where it's easy for anyone to be content, right? Because when we're living in prosperity, it's so easy for us to be content, right? But then again, we always got to be careful because when, when we're in that type of lifestyle, there's a danger of us getting our eyes off of Jesus. And Paul says, he says, he says whether in times of plenty, I learned to be content. But then he also says that even in the times of poverty, we're, we're forced to, and, you know, to be disciplined to kind of tighten up that belt, right? Because, hey, you know, we're living in poverty. But even, even, even living in that kind of, in that kind of lifestyle or, or, or situation is a danger as well. Because then we end up, you know, giving our own pity parties. You know what I mean? We fall into our own pity parties. But Paul is saying here, I learned the secret of being content in every situation. Right? So he's saying that contentment, contentment means to be satisfied and at rest with where God has you. How many of us are satisfied where God has us? How many of us are content where God has us? Amen? He's saying here that, 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 that being content is being satisfied and at rest where God has you despite what's happening around you. It's not something that's, that's natural. It's not something that's automatic. This is something that has to be learned, church. And I believe that God is teaching us contentment through the ups and downs of, of, of changing, changing circumstances right, in our lives. Because He wants us to learn to depend on Him and His divine enablement no matter what happens around us. So as we grow in our understanding and experience of his providence, of, of, his, of, his, of, of knowing of, that he's in control of all things, then that's how we grow, right, in our level of contentment. That's why Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. You see, many times it seems like God, he doesn't come through for us. Sometimes, you know, he does, I mean, it seems like he can't, he doesn't come through for us until we get to a point to where we can't take one more step. Right? Then God shows up at the right time. How many of us have ever said, man, God show, finally showed up at the right time, just when I was, when I couldn't take no more? Right? He shows up at the right time, just like Paul. That's what Paul is saying, you know. When, when, Paul, when Paul, you know, received the generosity of the Philippians, right, right at the right time. But this lesson of contentment, right, it's, it's mostly effective, what I believe it's mostly effective effectively learned, right, during the times of suffering and need, right? Because we have to have complete confidence that no matter what the circumstances are, Christ is going to give us the strength to meet it. Amen? That's why Paul says, I've learned. I've learned. You see, it didn't come automatic. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't something that came, you know, automatic. It was, it was something that he learned. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed whether living in plenty or in want. Amen. So let's 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 see what that looks like for us. Alright? What does that look like for us right now in this day and age? Think about it. Contentment is being just as happy driving a Mercedes as as it would be if you had a busted up hoopty or a busted up jalopy, a jacked up ride. Why? Because in both cases We'd have a ride. Contentment is, is having much pleasure in a big $300,000 home, right? As we would a two-bedroom apartment, right? Because in both cases, we'd have a roof over our head. 
Contentment is appreciating that big T-bone steak, right? As much as we would a hot dog. Amen? Because in both cases, we're not starving. Contentment is being satisfied with, with a nice, you know, designer outfit, right? As we would an outfit that we get maybe from a thrift store. Amen? Why? Because in both cases, we got clothes on our backs and we're not naked. So what I'm trying to say here is contentment is realizing that God has met our needs. Has God met your needs? He's met my needs. Amen. He continues to meet my needs. Shoot, man, God, God does not cease to amaze me. God is so good. Has God met your needs? Amen. Let's continue. Let's go to verse uh, 14. It says, um, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I, des what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Amen. So the, the, the fact that the Philippians were sharing Paul's troubles tells me that they had a close relationship, which is also so important. I mean, how awesome is it that the body of Christ is so close to one another, even to the point of sharing one another's circumstances, troubles, afflictions, supporting each other, building each other up during this journey of ups and downs. Amen? It's so awesome to see the body of Christ when we're close together. Praise the Lord. And Paul assures the Philippians that their good works on his behalf were benefiting them in heaven. Remember, their works, man, were going a long way, right? Because they were not only helping Paul, but they were, their gifts were a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Okay, and so what he was saying here is that is that their their, their gifts and their 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 their, uh, their giving was 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 a well earned reward for their kindness, amen. And when we when we when we give to those in need, when we when we give, you know, um, sacrificially as well, we benefit as well as the receiver, amen. We 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 end up growing in this in this in this grace of giving, and Paul right here he's he's appreciating the Philippians. He's appreciating their spirit of love and devotion more than the gifts. Amen. He says, not that I desire your gifts. He goes, what I desire is for you to be credited. You know what I mean? For, for God to pay you. Amen. For God to bless you. Paul describes the Philippians' gifts as a sweet smelling sacrifice. Amen. They were their, their very gifts were acts of, of worship, and, and God was the true recipient. Amen. I mean, they had given in faith, not so much. Uh, to Paul as to God. Amen. And that should be the ultimate goal of every act of love, every act of care, every act of, of, of concern and charity, right? To help, but also to please God. Amen. I mean, shoot, a sweet, a sweet smelling aroma. Oh man, they were smelling good. How many of us want to smell good? I know I do. Amen. So if we want, if we want that, right? If, if we want to please God, then let's step out in faith. Let's give sacrificially. Let's step out in faith and let's get involved in what God is doing. Amen. Let's show support to one another. Amen. Knowing that, that God's with us and he, he's the one that gives us the grace and the strength that we need. Amen. Praise God. Oh, I hope you guys are encouraged. I know I am. Okay, verse 19. 
It says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here he's telling them that they're going to be blessed for their generosity, promising that God will supply all their needs, all of our needs, right, according to the riches, right, in, in, in glory in Christ Jesus, right? So he's saying that not only will God supply their needs, our needs, right, but he would do it from his glorious riches. Who? That's the reason to get excited, man, because we can't, we cannot comprehend God's riches and glory. Man, his riches are limitless. They are infinite. Amen. So and if so if God's gonna bless us from that storehouse and me and meet our needs from that, who then then we, right? Like the Philippian believers, we could be rest assured that God will meet every need. Amen. No matter how large, how desperate, how hopeless, right? Wow, how hopeless it may seem. God is not only concerned, church, he's not only concerned with with, with our receiving from him, but he wants us also. He wants others to receive from us. In other words, God doesn't just want to give you a miracle. He wants you to become a miracle for somebody else. Amen. Look what Luke 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give and they will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. So this right here. It brings God greater glory, right? But it also brings you, it brings us, myself, greater blessing. Amen? Wow, that's that, that's reason, man, to give cheerfully. Amen? Praise the Lord. Okay, let's, let's go ahead and finish it up. Verse 21, it says, Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me, saying greetings, all people. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you remember back in chapter 1, we see that in chapter 1, the Philippians, the book of Philippians begins with grace. And now we see here that it ends with grace. Right? So throughout this whole book, we see that Paul had experienced God's undeserved favor. Amen. And he never got tired of praying that others would also experience that grace. How many want to experience that grace? I know I do. I want to experience the unmerited favor that Paul experienced. Amen? Wow. Awesome. Amen. Paul recognized, however, that problems, right? Problems would also arise. So in this thank you letter, in this thank you letter that he prepared, he was preparing the Philippians for potential difficulties that they might encounter. And he's preparing us as well as we study this, right? There, there are certain things that are going to happen, right? And even though Paul was a prisoner, right? Paul had learned the true secret of joy and peace, right? And he's teaching us here. The true secret of joy and peace would be... We end up learning uh, unity, we end up learning humility. We end up learning joy. We end up learning uh, peace. Amen. And we also become motivated to live for Him. Amen. Are we excited? Praise the Lord. Well, I hope that this study was was a, a, a blessing to you as it was to me. I know I was excited just reading all this and seeing how Paul, uh, what he went through, 
and how in the midst of what he was going through was encouraging us. Amen. And that's that's a good word for us as well. You know, that in times when we when we are going through it, you know, be an encouragement to somebody else because you never know. Somebody else may be going through something worse than you, than me, right? Let's be an encouragement. Let's imitate Christ. Amen. And let's and let's help build one another up. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we are encouraged, Father, to know that we can rejoice no matter what the circumstances are, Father. You have given us a promise, Lord, that you are in control of all things. And we rejoice, Lord, of the fact that you give us the strength that we need to stand firm on the rock of our salvation. So, Father, tonight I pray a blessing over all your people tonight. I ask that you would shower them with your grace, with your mercy, and with your love. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, I pray. And let all of God's people say, Amen and Amen. Well, God bless you, church. Uh, don't, don't forget, we got Sunday service, which is going to be an awesome time of celebration. Amen.